<laughs> I guess that was on purpose. Uh, you didn't send anything to, you know, you were afraid that we actually had a When lawyer. you have a lawyer here, they didn't get it's the release in the form. spam, you know. So <laughs> that's in the spam, yeah. Exactly, exactly. I'm definitely going to look. Um, no, don't worry about it. I was just curious about this uh, meal that you're offering here. Mm. Yes. Very compatible to podcasting. Yeah, it's after work. Yeah. 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 But we were talking about then, you know, how, uh, do, you, chips how, in the how do you eat That's... chips on the podcast? And now for the listeners, <laughs> uh, you know, be aware. <laughs> yeah, so, I think oof. the sound could be relaxing in some ways. Could you, could you actually fall asleep to listen to someone <laughs> eat chips? Uh, Instead no. of like so that, that, listening then we, to then whales, we, then, then we switch to meat instead. <laughs> exactly. You know, in Spotify, we, we actually have this kind of um, playlist where you actually use them to fall asleep. But I have never heard anything where a person eats chips. <laughs> and falls asleep. No, that's, that's rainforest. I get chips. I don't really get that point. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, we should try it. Maybe. Awesome, Evelina, Antilla, very welcome uh, to this you. podcast. Uh, it's a true pleasure uh, to have you here. We've known each other for, for some time. Yeah. And um, I'm, I'm eager to, to share some experience uh, from Almedalen or whatnot. And yeah. Fanta, Fanta and Rosé, you've been there <laughs> oh, yes. with uh, Gordon, me and others. And, uh, exactly. Are you oh. part of the Fanta Rosé crew? Oh, I like it, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I hope we don't have any uh, sommeliers listening into this, but uh, other than that, it's a uh, truly a fun thing. But it was no Almedalen uh, no. this year. Exactly. Luckily or not? Or Sorry? Do you miss it or would you have? Definitely. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if we will have one this summer. Um, yeah, who knows? Yeah, who knows? But we can have some Fanta Rosé otherwise. Good point. Yeah. Awesome. But let's start perhaps a bit, you know, who is Evelina? How would you describe yourself? Yeah, so I'm uh, 33 years old. I'm from Stockholm. I'm a mother of two kids. And um, yeah, I'm a colleague of yours. Yes. Working at Paltarian. I've mm. uh, been doing that for nearly four years now. Yeah. Yeah. Almost, uh, yeah same time as me, I think. Yeah, I think you were uh, a bit before me. Yeah. Do you know your employee number at uh, Peltorium? Like 10, 15? No, it's more like 20 something. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it was early days. It was back in 2017. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Awesome. But and, and if we were to go through, I mean, you have done so many cool stuff and I know you're a bit humble, so you don't want to say about the, the nice things, but I can brag for you instead, perhaps. And, you know. Oh, nice. <laughs> so you don't have to do it yourself. But, um, you know, you've been elected to one of the super talents by Veckans Affair, et cetera, in 2019 and so forth. But still going back a bit from the, back, uh, from yeah. the beginning. Mm. And, and you obviously are a lawyer. Yeah. And perhaps you can just start a bit about, you know, how that got started and, and uh, what brought you into that field. Yeah. So actually, I've been thinking about uh, that question, uh, actually, because I've been writing a book uh, okay. around why you should become a lawyer, ah, uh, which actually that. got me thinking about it. Uh, why did I uh, do that? And um, I mean, I went to law school straight after high school uh, and surely I had my reasons for it. But I think back then I couldn't like put it into words. Uh, and actually, I was considering a career as an engineer as well mm. and actually applied to KTH. Um, but in the end, I chose law, and I think it goes back to my background. So I'm from Stockholm. I'm from a suburb uh, just south uh, outside of Stockholm. 
And I mean, the area where I grew up was quite, um, it was a lot of trouble. Uh, not for me personally, but the area was, uh, had a lot of like problems. Which area was that? Haninge. Um, yes. And hopefully, I mean, um, I hope it, it's, it's better now. But um, what I saw, and I mean, quite early in my age, uh, was uh, the injustice in society. So, I mean, just realizing that uh, people don't have the same opportunities. Um, so I wanted to do something about it. And I wanted like tools and context uh, to do that. So, um, yeah, I, I think that brought me into like mm. the law field. Mm. Um, and um, in the very beginning, I saw myself as a... Uh, lawyer in court, um, defending people. Watching uh, American shows? Or yeah, actually, of yes. course. I mean, of course. <laughs> Did you have a favorite American show? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I liked Elle McBeal. Perhaps that <laughs> tells something about my age, although I think I'm still young. Um, but We're the youngest one here, so yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, yes. cool, nice. Um, gonna put that on my resume. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, but to this date, uh, I haven't been in court defending people, uh, I should say. Uh, and um, I mean, you never know, I might do that in the future. Uh, but what actually um, came up to me was that you can do a lot of things with law, mm -hmm. uh, and not necessarily within criminal law. So I mean, even working in business law uh, could actually do or entail good stuff when it comes to uh, society. Mm. Cool. So that went you or brought you into law school. And uh, for people that don't know, you got a juridiskan, right? Or yeah, exactly. Uh, At that time, it was called Jurkand. Yeah. Uh, now I think they say juristexamen, but it's yeah. basically the same thing. Mm. Uh, it's four and a half years of status. Mm. Um, and I went to uh, Stockholm University. Um, and uh, at that time, I was um, really into sports. I still am. Really? Yeah. What so, kind of sports? I didn't know that. Yeah. So football or oh. soccer, depending on uh, where in the world. Yeah, where in you in the world you are, uh, and also floorball, uh, like in, in the Bundy. Yes, mm. exactly. Uh, so I I was not like hundred um, percent considering a career as a as an athlete. Uh, I wish, uh, but I was uh, I was practicing a lot. Um, so on what level? What, um, what was your claim of fame in soccer? Yeah, so football? I mean, I wish I could say like the highest league, but it wasn't. Uh, but like the second best, second best yeah. in Dom Logget. Exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But I mean, I, I was doing it because it was fun. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, so it was really nice to still be in Stockholm and study. Mm -hmm. um, but um, when I started working, I realized like. I need to see something else. Mm. Uh, and then I got the opportunity uh, through my former employer to uh, work in New York. Uh, ah. So Was that Mannheimer? Or? Yeah, exactly. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So uh, my name is, my name is Sackling. It's, um, it's one of the biggest law firms in uh, Scandinavia mm. and they have an office in New York. So I went there uh, for a year. Great adventure. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. And what was your pr uh, field? Uh, what was your focus when you were in New York? It was basically everything related to business. business. So um, everything from intellectual property to mergers and acquisitions, um, IT, tech. Um, and I think that was the very beginning uh, of my tech journey. Mm. Uh, and also being in New York, I mean, it's a great city. There's a lot of like startups. Do you still think that? Or? I mean, yeah, of course, there 
they do have their problems, but mm. I I do meet I I miss New York a lot. Yes. New York has a pulse, the Big Apple, the something big, like yeah. that. I've, I've been a lot. I've been a lot in New York. I must say, I, I don't want to go back there. Really? No, not even yes. as a tourist. No. I love to go to. I'm not sure I would Canada like. Canada is much nicer. But, but I, yes. I, I, what was the? Uh, I mean, why is that? It's horrible. It smells bad. You have uh, garbage on the streets. It's, uh, it's but don't a mess you get everywhere. It, I it's, think there is a, there is some sort of pulse or energy in that city, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Yes, I'm not sure I would like to live in that city. But to go there once in a while, I, I think it's compared to other places in the world. Uh, I would put U.S. in general very low in mm. my list. Actually, <laughs> but then we can disagree on this one. Exactly, Me. exactly. We don't with need to be in agreement in yeah. everything. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I think that uh, sparked something. So yeah. when I came back to uh, Stockholm, um, I still worked at Mannheimer, but I was like. Um, looking outside the law field and I was actually considering leaving it uh, because I felt that um, it's not super fun being a lawyer. Sorry, all lawyers. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but um, Can you just elaborate a bit more? What's, well, what's dep- the, the, the negative side, so to speak? <laughs> so, I mean, obviously it depends on your passion and interests. Yeah. And I just think that I've come to realize that it's not my uh, passion mm-hmm. um, going through like laws and regulations. Uh, I like to see law as a enabler uh, of mm-hmm. things. Um, and if you can use that tool in that sense, uh, that's great. Uh, but sometimes you end up in just, it shouldn't be a blocker. Um, right. And also if you are a lawyer uh, within a company, for example, mm-hmm. as I am now at Patreon, I mean, it's a support function. Mm-hmm. Um, and you need to understand that lawyers are supporters. Uh, and I'm so eager to jump to the, the question of regulations, can, pros and cons. Yeah, now. Exactly. Let's, let's wait keep, with that for a second, it. I think. But that so. can be great. And I think it's just, uh, it's not you, it's me. Uh, like, <laughs> I've realized that perhaps I shouldn't be a lawyer. But, but what sport is, <laughs> what sport oh my take- God, this is going to be like, I'm going to hand my resignation tomorrow. Yeah. But what sparked your tech interest? Can, can you sort of backtrack in New York? Was mm-hmm. it the scene? Was it the type of clients you were? Or what, where, where was the tech interest sparked, so to speak? Uh, it was actually uh, in a running group. Um, ah. So I'll, I'd like to see myself as like a sporty, social, super active person. But what's really fun, at least I think that, is that during the pandemic, now that you've been basically in lockdown, yeah. um, I came to appreciate the low pace activities as well. Uh, perhaps it's like something with age or <laughs> maturity. You um, you're just 33 years old. You can't speak about age. She can't, you, you what, she can't pull the, uh, <laughs> card, the age card. She can't pull that yet. Sorry. Yeah, Five more years. No, but so uh, going back to New York, I mean, I was everywhere. Um, and at that time I was 26. I was single. I mean, I didn't have anything that held me back. So I was just like, if anyone was asking me to, hey, join this running club, I'm there. Uh, I was the first to show up. So, uh, and that uh, was actually the spark to the tech scene because the the running group was uh, run by a um, guy who was, um, I think he has um, uh, started like several startups mm-hmm. and uh, he had uh, founded a company which um, had this running app uh, which basically, um, I think Spotify later on had a similar mm-hmm. thing. It's it related to the pace. 
yeah, yeah, so, yeah. an adaptive, uh, adaptive. Exactly. Yeah. Finding the music BPM that fits with the running pace. Yeah, yes. exactly. So we were running um, in Central Park mm-hmm. uh, with like uh, speakers and the app. Yeah. And it was great. And it was like um, 20, 30 people. Um, and uh, I think I was the only one working with like a boring job. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, sorry, Keep I'm putting just... putting down your... Yeah, 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 no, yeah, it's weird. Yeah, okay. exactly, I shouldn't... Um, and you came back to, to, to Stockholm, uh, and then what's the journey, how you how you and Peltorium found each other, so to speak? Yeah, so um, uh, I went back, um, I was doing a lot of mergers and acquisitions, uh, I was helping a lot of, like, tech tech companies with fundraising, uh, but being on the other side. And then I have a, a friend of mine, uh, Mikael Moreira. He's, I think he's the best uh, tech lawyer in town. Um, the best tech lawyer in town. Yeah, he you should, heard, um, or VC lawyer. He should uh, definitely have the, its appreciation post. Yeah. Um, so he's a friend of mine and um, he uh, knew about Peltarium. Uh, I think it was like fundraising wise and said that they are looking for uh, a lawyer. Uh, a first lawyer to build up the the legal department, and he knew that I uh, were trying to get out of the legal field. Uh, but he said that if you wanted, I mean, this is a really cool company. Uh, you should have a second opinion or a second thought about this. Um, and I, then I met with uh, Peder, I think, which right. is um, at that time he was uh, HR yes. director at yeah. Peltaren. Uh, and shortly thereafter, I, I met with uh, the two founders, Luke and Mons. Mm-hmm. And then I was just like, oh, this is so cool. Mm-hmm. And I really, really liked Luke and Mons. Uh, they are like super, genuinely uh, nice people. And also, I thought it was interesting with AI. And to be honest, at uh, that much, time... Yeah, how much uh, did you know about no, AI at that time? Nothing, barely. Um, but I, um, I mean... I went online, I read about it, and I realized that, I mean, this new technology will definitely um, bring uh, much change in society. Yeah. Uh, it could be for good, it could be for bad, uh, it could and be both. And regulation will not, uh, we need to catch up. Yeah, and you, you so it's like, see exactly, it's super is. interesting. And, and being in that mm. field that early, at least. Um, yeah, it is early. Yeah. Uh, so I thought it was uh, super exciting and uh, couldn't say no. Um, yeah, so, so that that was the start. It is hard to say. Regulatory lawyer, lawyering combined with AI, it must be one of the key things, places to be. Yeah, and I think <laughs> so. it also came back to, uh, I mean, why I in the first place uh, went to law school, because mm. I wanted to do something good and I wanted to be able to have tools to uh, change bad things in society uh, and do it for be- for the better. And then AI could be another tool for that. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So, I mean, there are two ways to, to look at AI and law, I would say. One is basically using AI to improve law, mm. right? Another is the law for AI, mm. which is com- two different, yeah, completely different questions, right? Yes, yeah. two, two interesting questions to explore, actually. Mm. Yeah. Which one? Be. And then before, perhaps before that. What, what's uh, your what's your take on it? Oh, don't try to turn the tables <laughs> on me. You are know. like this. Let's start, start interviewing. <laughs> he, he, he tries to get out of the question. And, you know, exactly, uh, yeah, exactly. I, I have too many opinions, but. Um, <laughs> we love it. We love opinions. <laughs> but before that, you know, okay, so you didn't know that much about AI to start with. No. But if you were to compare perhaps what you thought AI was at that time, mm-hmm. and what you think today. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, perhaps I'm a good example of what at least my opinion is 
of society today mm. because I think there's a, a, a lack of, uh, well, education. It sounds like super broad, but understanding understanding around AI. Yeah, yeah. because uh, at the moment, or sometimes I feel that uh, we have insufficient information uh, and that people don't really know what AI is and what it it's not. Um, so, and it goes back to education and awareness. Uh, so I think, I mean, this podcast is great, demystifying what AI is um, and also talking about AI generally, taking it to a broader scene. Um, and that's actually why I started my newsletter. Um, right. yeah, yeah, same purpose. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Same purpose. Um, so what newsletter is that? So it's AI's Weekly. Um, it's... Um, uh, I, I'm part of uh, Stockholm AI, which is a community uh, here in Stockholm. I think actually it's uh, one of the biggest communities in Europe, at least in uh, in the Nordics. Um, in terms of AI, you mean? In terms of AI. Yes. Exactly. Sorry, I forgot <laughs> that one. Um, um, one bear in. Uh, <laughs> 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 but uh, yeah, it's um, basically AI enthusiasts gathered together uh, and uh, we have a lot of like activities, um, everything from reading groups to events. It sounds like reading group, but reading groups. Reading yes, groups, yes. yes. Um, and events. Um, uh, meetups. Meetups, yeah, everything. Of, of course, nowadays no, it's no. digitally. Digital meetups. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, so um, I'm part of the board uh, since May last year. And um, one of the reasons I got engaged with Stockholm AI is because, well, first of all, um, I think uh, we need to improve the diversity in the AI field. Uh, and uh, Stockholm AI they do a lot of good things um, and uh, they have done things to improve diversity, uh, but I wanted to be part and, um, well, increase that. Um, and then I thought about, okay, what can, what can we do? Because, I mean, in my book, um, action is the important part. Speaks louder than words. Right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's so easy to have opinions about things. And I mean, yes. I have opinions and I've been one of those like <clears throat> just complain. Um, but I think it's important to just ask yourself like, okay, what can I do mm. uh, to improve this? And, and We're trying all the time to find sound bites like uh, Luca, you know, the, mm. the founder of Pelthorian said basically commit to deploy, which we are probably going to print a t-shirt yes. with. Perhaps another one uh, is something like Action that. Action speaks Action. louder than words. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, like, it must so, be someone who said we, that before. We yeah. all the guests, <laughs> we all the guests we've had now. This is a joke, but it's actually quite serious. It, like trying to distill it down to a very concrete, simple mm. principle or statement is mm. a way to hammer things in. So commit to deploy is about go away from trying to do piloting, but really, really understand to take something to production. That's when you're really going to learn. Action speaks louder than words. Yeah. It's something about how we change and get ready for this. Don't yeah. complain, just act, right? <laughs> exactly. Like yeah. Well, yeah, we should have like billboards. And mm -hmm. We're almost at the Nike and just do it. So. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but I, I mean, uh, to go back to it, I think it's, um, I mean, if you have a voice and I'm not sure my voice is the loudest, but at least I think I have some something to say. Um, sure. Uh, then I think uh, you have an obligation to use it. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's what I want to do. I mean, my passion lies around uh, diversity, uh, women in tech, um, women in AI. And uh, with this newsletter, uh, 
what I want to achieve is twofold. Uh, first thing is demystifying AI as you do uh, and just show like uh, use cases, what you can do with it, uh, what it is, what it's not. And then I want to show role models mm-hmm. um, and the whole spectra uh, because I think role models is one of the key things to achieve a balance when it comes to diversity. Yeah. Um, so you, what do you mean with that is basically here... I'm female, I'm a lawyer, I'm in the AI field. This is a role model for one way of going. Yeah, and AI. it's not just to, sh- I mean, uh, to put myself on the newsletter. Uh, I want to put others in there. No, and <laughs> because by, by doing, like, like it's a little bit like, uh, very similar actually, that we want to demystify AI with this podcast. We think the best way to do that is by casting guests mm. and, and exploring these guests as role models mm. for different perspectives of how what AI will do for us or how we can work in AI field and stuff like that. Yeah. So, so I guess you are then having, uh, you, you're, you're, in your newsletter, you will talk to different people or interview them exactly. as a way to frame. Yeah. This is uh, Linda and yeah. she's working yeah. with this and yeah. she has this passion and exactly. this, this is how she got into it. She, look here, she did not go, she, she didn't, she wasn't born an AI doctor. Mm. Right? She started somewhere else, but yeah, she, exactly. she, she came this way. Yeah. This was her path. That, that's like uh, that's the purpose and uh, a, a purpose. mix of like news, um, uh, a mix of like interviews, uh, including um, uh, events. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm, I mean, I think it's super important to include the community. So what I'm trying to do is not only to create this <laughs> newsletter myself, but actually including yeah. more because so, I mean, we all live in filter bubbles. So um, but I think let, let's promote uh, AI Stockholm. What is AI Stockholm? Because I think it's a great community and we want people to join communities. Yeah. So what's the mission and purpose of AI Stockholm and how, how did that start? So um, it started a couple of years ago. I can't remember the exact uh, year, uh, but it's driven by uh, enthusiasts, people mm. that are interested in the AI field. And I think uh, historically it's been a lot of like, uh, engineers, tech, um, tech, tech people, uh, tech nerds. Tech nerds is an important part, but maybe not the whole. Yeah, part, but it's an important part. But what we're moving towards now, and I mean, um, time will tell if this is a good path or not, is to include um, people beyond tech, mm-hmm. um, because I, I think that is super important when we when we're discussing like ethics, for example, mm-hmm. uh, because we need. Um, different types of uh, competences and skills and uh, tech people are super important but it's also important with the uh, other parts economics society um lawyers <laughs> yeah cool and, and the uh, is showing of the stockholm.ai webpage yeah exactly uh, so everybody can find more information on stockholm.ai yeah and uh, we are actually updating the website quite soon because uh, I don't think it's super updated yet. Mm-hmm. But in short, it's a non-profit organization, right? Yes. That tries to basically yeah. promote and help people accelerate and understand so AI uh, in different ways. Do you have any sponsorship or how, how do you make it work? Yes, we do have sponsors. Uh, if you're interested, you're, <laughs> you can email me afterwards. Good. <laughs> yeah, uh, but it, it's, it's a non-profit. And I mean... Um, uh, one of the uh, partners is actually Peltarian. Mm. Yeah. Or sponsors, yes. Yeah. Mm. Awesome. 
I'm eager to jump into the next topic. Let's go there now. Um, and I'm I'm trying to struggle which one. There's so many to choose from. <laughs> um, but I think you know something you mentioned a bit before about you know, I guess regulation in general mm. should not be a blocker. You said. Yeah. And uh, can you just start to elaborate a bit more? What do you mean with that? Exactly. I mean. Um, It's um, so if you are working as an in-house lawyer, for example, mm. uh, it's not fun to be the blocker and mm. just say no. Uh, but I think it's and, and I can just share what I said before at the start. You know, when I speak to you or ask you something, you know, I try yeah. to avoid saying, "Is this okay to do?" I wouldn't ask that, but mm. instead I would ask, you know, how can we solve this to make this possible? Uh, but now, now let, let's start here, and then we have a tips and tricks with your internal <laughs> exactly. lawyers. How to, to speak to lawyers? <laughs> how to speak to lawyers? <laughs> tips and tricks with your privacy officer. Yes. Let's go there. Exactly, exactly. Okay. But that's that's good. Um, yeah, but I think uh, what people could do to help out lawyers to be enablers rather than blockers uh, is actually involving them early on. Early on is a key tip. Yeah, exactly. Tips because and, um, and it's also um, more fun as a lawyer to be part uh, early on because then you can like be part of s- setting the strategy, uh, be proactive, uh, and um, I mean, if one way wouldn't work, then you can suggest another way uh, rather than coming late saying that oh my god, this is illegal, you can't do that, uh, that's super boring, and you're being the nosier. So um, be more proactive rather than reactive. So, so one of the key strategies is to work with your regulatory topics or uh, lawyering stuff proactively. If yeah, that's a simple lawyering st- stuff. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is simple enough. Right? <laughs> yeah, but I, I think actually I have to defend the the field of um, law. Law, in some way, <laughs> because you're you're putting it down a bit. So I, I'm going to take uh, the opposite stance yeah, a bit now yeah. and, and trying to find a, a positive and and you know why we need regulation, perhaps. Yeah. Oh no, and, uh, definitely. I, I'm I'm very pro regulation, especially mm. for the AI field. And I usually speak the opposite way. I usually speak against regulation because I think you know so many examples of regulation is bad. But I think you okay, know, with, yeah. without regulation, it would be horribly as mm. bad as well. Yeah. So that there is two extremes you can yeah. think of completely. And anarchistically, like without regulation, and you can think completely overregulated and a kind of, you know, big brother kind of society, which would be also bad. So you, the 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 real problem is really to find the balance between the two, right? Yeah, exactly. It's not an easy task. And I think you know one example. We always love to to quote Elon Musk. I think, and and at least I do. We uh, or you, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But one, one example, I'm, I'm with him actually on this one. <laughs> but he he has the quotes lined up. I don't. Yeah, yeah. but I, I think you know he often speak. You know, Elon Musk is is very much speaking about you know pros of or a need for regulation in yeah. AI, and he compares it, for example, with the automotive or you know the seatbelt. You know, before you know in the, I guess in the 1950s or something, the whole automotive industry was really really against the regulation of having seatbelts. Mm. To the point that they took like ten years, and you know, hundreds of thousands of people were killed because the cars didn't have seatbelts in them. Mm. And then finally, after a long time, people started to understand perhaps we should have seatbelts, and, and actually is a good thing. And it doesn't really hurt the industry that much that mm. we have seatbelts. They will still sell cars. Um, but then you can go, yeah, we can go to GDPR and whatnot. But but would you agree with with that? I guess you, it's kind of a leading question, but, but 
to just give serving that kind it of on a plate. <laughs> <laughs> but, but would you do you think that kind of analogy between the the automotive and seatbelt kind of regulations compared to AI regulation is useful in some way? Too? Yeah, and I mean today mm-hmm. there are a few players that truly uses AI. Yeah. Uh, what we've seen is a shift. I mean, many companies are now looking into, um, I mean, exploring how can we use AI in practice. Mm. So, I mean, with that comes that people or companies are now actually thinking about ethics. And that is super, super good. Mm. Ethics and regulation. We need to take it seriously. Um, because... <sighs> Well, going back to Elon, Elon Musk, Musk yes, <laughs> um, we can do something now uh, to make sure that AI models systems are transparent, um, are explainable, uh, but we need, need actively to put resources into it. Uh, and I think that's super important to make sure that uh, the models are fair uh, and secure. Uh, and how we will do that, I mean, that is... It's a super hard question. I've been following the work that uh, the EU Commission is doing mm. and the high-level expert group. Right. Um, and I mean, they've come up with suggestions. I think some of them are good, uh, but then you can have comments uh, about it as well. Um, but I think I have so much to say about this because sometimes it feels like people are desperate for regulation. Mm. Um, and then we don't really know what regulation we need. Uh, and people tend to talk about AI as an object. It's not. Mm. Uh, many people argue that it's a general purpose technology. Perhaps that's established now that it's like electricity. Yeah. Um, and and that, you mean AI is a general purpose technology similar to electricity? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, we can't talk about it like an object. Mm. Um, and AI is math. You can't just forbid Math. So isn't this one of the key topics here now? If we want to talk about regulations in AI and ethics in AI, mm. it requires a certain level of understanding yes. before we understand how to regulate. And and I think this is one of the key problems that the lawmakers sometimes, uh, the regulators sometimes, they haven't really, they, are, they don't have this. Oh my God, sorry. <laughs> the beer is spilling. <laughs> Uh, this was not on purpose. Oh, I, it's I it's okay, but I need you. regulation on beer. Yeah, yeah, bubbles, but, but I think this is one of the things we are, we are getting. I mean, like we have talked about this in other th- topics. In order to succeed with with data and AI industrialization, we will need to understand intersectional innovation. We need to cross pollinate whatever domain we are in mm. with the data and AI domain. Yeah. So it, it then goes that you can't sit in the l- lawmaking domain and looking in from the outside on data and AI. You need to be exposed to it. You need to have experts. You need to work cross-functionally with people who can explain it to you. Because if you're on the outside looking in, you're not really understanding concretely what you're trying to regulate. That's, yes. my, that's my hypothesis. And yeah, and then we will get laws that are not fit for purpose. That's the point, right? Mm. Or we will have good intentions like GDPR, mm. but where the way we execute it has lost its meaning because we didn't really understand the purpose and how it could be done. And by the that's way- That's debatable, I, I should say though. No, but I, I mean, I, some people argue that GDPR is like a masterpiece. No, no, but what, what, this is what I'm saying. No, th- this is the topic today. This is, this, no, no, let's, let's go here. Let's go here. Right. So we are talking about masterpiece. A regu- I'm writing that. A regulations fit for purpose. And now, and now, 
Do you see how it gets red now? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so GDPR might be a masterpiece. You s- sorry, you said before we started that I, I won't put you in the corner. We <laughs> feel put- cornered now. <laughs> but this is your field. Yeah. This, this should be okay. okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, but, but I, I think this is interesting because maybe the fundamental way GDPR was intended and even how it's framed when you read the law text It's fantastic, but then somewhere along the lines, we have tried to interpret what it means and how mm. to execute it, and extremely convoluted processes, or basically no to everything has started to emerge. Mm. So the way we have now decided to interpret and use GDPR, and I have, I actually have a very good anecdote of this, because I've been working at Vattenfall, and I've been working with Scania, and they are both taking GDPR extremely seriously, They are super professional. They have big lawyering team looking at this, but they are fundamentally looking at it differently. Mm. Yeah, but so... um, Which I find interesting then, right? Yeah, but uh, there is some um, uh, interpretation uh, issues when it comes to GDPR. Although it's like an EU law, that's problematic because... But then it's not the masterpiece. Or or could you do something that is not hard to interpret in these areas? Maybe that's even impossible. So personally, I think that uh, when it comes to AI and regulation, I don't believe in a regulation that is like fits everything, one size fits all. No, that's really important to understand. Yeah, so I I think that we need to look at the effects Um, and to be able to do this that... This is another quote, actually, because I think this was... The, the first time I heard it was actually from you, I think. You know, how, What should we regulate? Techniques or effects of mm. techniques? Yeah. That's a uh, profound think, statement, by the way. Yeah. So can you just elaborate a bit more on that? Because I think that's an important understanding to have. Important, yes, and also hard. Mm. <laughs> because, I mean... I so, th- so give an example. I, I can just give an example. So let's take uh, face recognition. Mm. It's a technique can be used for different, uh, you know, number of different purposes. A lot of them potentially with harmful intentional implications, but potentially also positive implications. Then the option is, you know, should you simply say um, face recognition is forbidden? Mm. Or should you say the application of using different types of face recognition you know, yeah. applications is forbidden? Is, is that what you mean with the effects of techniques? Or, or what, was your, what, what did you mean when you said... You know, regulate the effects of techniques, not the techniques themselves. So, going back to uh, the EU Commission's proposal, mm. uh, because they, uh, one of the things they suggest is a risk-based uh, approach. Yes, um, and I mean that could be good, mm. but it's also problematic because in so many ways. In so many ways, yeah, uh, because well, at least you. You need to assess what is risk, and also risk that could be um, that could change over time. Um, so, I- applying AI in one sector may have uh, these types of effects. Applying it in another sec- uh, sector could have uh, other effects. Um, so, it's I think it's really really hard. Um, and basically, what what I hope is that we will. Uh, take the time to think this through, mm. uh, not rush to lay out the regulation, because then I think we will have something that is not fit for purpose. Mm. Um, I think also perhaps we should think about soft law 
Uh, I definitely think what, that we, what is soft law? What do you mean with this? So I think we need some type of regulation, uh, but it doesn't necessarily need to be uh, in terms of like EU law. Uh, we could have like codes, uh, standards. Codes of conduct. Codes yeah, exactly. Uh, so, uh, for example, in the um, uh, construction and uh, building environment, you have like codes and fuck man a Perhaps we can have that and people will trust it because if you don't have this certification, uh, if you haven't followed the prop process, uh, people won't trust trust you. So there, there are many yeah. ways that we also can implement regulations because I, sometimes maybe the, the, the lawyering text is not the problem. It's actually mm. the implementation of things. And so from the, from the statement of the text mm. and then how we choose to interpret it very differently and then from how we choose to implement it very differently. Mm. Yeah, and I mean, uh, it's also, um, if you just go back, take a step back and look at the uh, law and regulation, the very foundation of it is uh, based on that certain functions will always reside with humans. Um, So, for example, if you take the car, um, the car replaced the horse from the very Mm. beginning. Mm. And now we're trying to replace the driver. Uh, and I mean, at least as I see it, the very foundation of law today uh, hasn't really changed uh, from the horse even. <laughs> Perhaps <laughs> not, not that, not that bad. Actually, but I mean, it, it, it's, it's actually philosophical questions. Yes. And cool. but uh, there's a couple of things here. You've said it before, uh, another way to give an example um, of this, you know, regulating an effect or risk or something like that. You know, we, we build recommender systems mm. and then some recommend recommendations is to recommend which is the next song of music mm. you should listen mm. to. You know, how, how if that f- screws up, you know, what, what really happens, right? How do you regulate that versus I will have recommender systems for the energy grid to basically balance the energy of, uh, of, of, a, of a country, right? And if you screw that up, it is kind of a different ball game we're talking about. So for me, when we're talking about regulating the effects, it's a little bit like also regulate regulations in relation to what's the business implication or societal implication or whatever we want to call it but, to get but it just right. to clarify this a bit more, and it would be interesting to hear your opinion on this, um, Evelina. You brought up the EU regulation, especially the upcoming one, mm-hmm. uh, talking about high risk versus low risk AI, mm-hmm. etc. Although that, that's a proposal yeah. that's still... Upcoming, but in some form, probably. Yeah. Or, but it's, it's, it's a direction so, where there is a direction. Well, I hope where there thinking. will be some regulation, mm-hmm. um, and I hope that. Uh, but let's take the bad version that I've seen at least, which is <laughs> not good, and, uh, and then let's argue from that and see how we can improve it. And uh, we don't know what will happen, right? But, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but but I think, and I hope you agree that you know trying to regulate the effects of using something rather than mm. the technology itself is good otherwise you can simply say everything can be reduced to you know if you take facial recognition that's a technique but if you use it to identify people to kill them for defense you know purposes that's not a really good thing mm. um so that's the application and then you can say ah oh, well they use facial recognition yeah it's a technique uh, but that use ai yeah that's a technique but that use um data yeah mm. that's a technique or they use math mm. yeah so that's a you know if you try to regulate like a basic underlying technology that's a mm. dangerous thing to do it should yeah. be the application that's but, but now i hope you can agree on all on that at least we, right? I, I fully agree on that but now we, we now you said it even more 
sharp, regulate on application rather than technique. Yeah. But yeah. one thing I think we're forgetting here, or not mentioning at least, is trust. Because mm. we will need society's trust. Mm. Uh, and how mm. do we achieve that? And I think uh, regulation could be uh, one thing. Mm. Um, but then you have the second question, like, okay, so for like people in general, what do you need to understand about AI? Do you really need to understand how an AI model works? Mm. Like technically? Yeah. So, okay. Let, Perhaps that's, not. That, that's an awesome topic, but I'd just like to continue <laughs> my previous discussion before we end up in this kind of very interesting as well, trust and understanding mm. AI and, you know, either having kind of in uh, internal kind of understanding how models or neural networks works, etc. But before that, you know, okay, we, we have techniques versus effects. I mm. think and hope we all agree that, you know, it's bad to regulate techniques at least, right? Yeah, I think or? that would be problematic because as we as we discussed in the very beginning, yeah. I mean, um, you have, I mean, big data is all, already used today. Yeah. Um, engineering, <laughs> yeah. I mean, math. Um, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's really reduced mm. ba back to I mean, basic it, it math. It becomes ridiculous yeah. when someone says, we need to regulate math. Yeah. You know, like you're not allowed to do a certain equation on paper. That's illegal. Yeah. That sounds totalitarian to mm. me. So then coming to the other question, which was the high risk versus low risk and potentially the, the not optimal kind of definition, which we haven't seen yet. It's just a proposal, mm. as you said, from mm. EU. Mm. But trying to define, you know, some sectors potentially in, in, in society is high risk, high risk AI. And that could, for example, be medical. Though, yeah. Right. So you use AI to try to guide like a robot kind of surgeon or whatnot, or mm. you use it to, to make some kind of diagnosis or yeah, so forth. That could potentially be classified as high risk. And then any kind of application that is used or using AI needs to be regulated more than perhaps music recommendations from Spotify. Mm. But, you know, it won't kill anyone, even though it may may make some people really angry yeah. mm. when having to listen to Danish pap, uh, rap uh, music. You, you, can, you can truly get psychological scars from <laughs> Danish rap music. Yes. Uh, so, so that sounds uh, good, I think, in theory. But I think it has a lot of issues if you say a complete sector, like medical sector, needs to be regulated more if they are going to use AI. Well, this is not regulating application. This, this is something else. This is more problematic. So um, this would be interesting because you are the expert in, in, in this. And, and to my understanding, at least, they, it does seem like they try to regulate more of a sector rather than effect. So basically, if you want to use AI in mm. a medical kind of, let's say you have a system where you enter journal text or something, it has no you know, dangerous effect. It's just a simple AI But basically tool. what they say is that um, it needs to be legal, yeah. And one thing we need to remember there is that it's not that we are living in a lawless field now. There are no, many laws exactly. that apply to AI already today. We have like discrimination, sure. product liability, etc. So they say it needs to be uh, legal and it also needs to be ethical. Mm -hmm. And then they go through a different kind of like ethical standards. Mm -hmm. It's everything from uh, security, integrity, uh, transparency. Uh, yeah, that's part of basically ethical. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and then they say that it needs to be robust. We mm -hmm. need to, to trust that it actually works and it, it won't break down. Um, so what, what they are considering is, should we have mandatory law for different fields or mm -hmm. different like 
higher risk but, sectors. But don't you think there is a risk that if they simply classify a whole field, mm. like the medical sector or something, that they will be so much further behind in terms of innovation in general because they have a higher demands on regulation, even though it may be a small part of you know a medical sector. Let's say that they want to use AI to simply uh, stupid example regulate the the, the ventilation in in hospitals. Mm. I, I think this is, this is super interesting, uh, and I can't remember if it was you that said mm. this quote. <laughs> but is it actually ethical not to use AI? Exactly. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Uh, we should have that Kai on print. Actually. Yeah. <laughs> I think this is actually from Kai originally. Yeah, so, Kai yeah. Anderson. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Because, um, and that actually goes back to what I was trying to say before around, like, what do we need uh, when it comes to trust, uh, for people to trust AI? Because if we have an AI model... You're doing a bridging now. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe that's the bridge. Let's take the bridge. (laughs) So we have have, have gone around... Your questions are super, super hard. Okay. (laughs) It's also, I, I wasn't prepared to deliver, like... Yeah. An answer to the EU Commission tonight. Ah, okay. No. <laughs> uh, I'm sure. I think, you know, it's super interesting that we have regulation and they are formulated correctly. And I think, you know, you actually were the, at least the first time I heard it, that f- put it Regulate. into Regulate application of the effects. Yeah, the effects, not the techniques, nor, I would say, the sector. Yeah, but I, I think it's But I think you need to look sector-wise also. Not saying that it should mm. be, because in some sectors you should be more careful. Mm. But it's really yes. hard to do that topic because I, I take the example of, of a hospital. Mm-hmm. A hospital, you have the fundamental patient care, giving care. But if you look at the whole hospital, 80% of the cost is made up of administration, right? Running a hospital, administrating, you know. So where, where, do, where do we... And you can use AI for you, the So this is the point. Tasks. This is the point. Where do you ha- need to have regulation that is relevant for yeah, a business yeah. controller because now we are talking about typical business controller yeah. stuff so now we need to define then the sector procurement mm. business control mm. versus doctoring yeah you know i live with a high regulation in ai for doctoring but i don't live with a high regulation for business control of a hospital i don't think that makes sense so for me then if you take health science or a hospital as as a sector I think you're way out of line because you haven't you haven't dissected the different areas of a of a hospital. I mm. think we should just do what you said. Yeah, regulate effects. Regulate effects. So, so then, I, I then you solve that problem, yes. right? But I actually have a, a question for you guys. So um, would it be possible that we have, let's say, uh, a doctor uh, that has um, AI tools available mm. and an AI model that could help the doctor predict? like tumors mm. um is it a trade between the model's performance and explainability mm. Mm. can should i start sure, yeah. Yeah. i think you should start i think you can take it deeper <laughs> Um, I, I think, you know, one way to answer that is to, to speak about the human neural network versus the artificial neural network. Okay. It's so dangerous sometimes that you put so much higher standards on the artificial neural network than you do on the n- human neural network. Mm. Oh, so so you, when you say the doctor versus the AI together making a, a human neural network is the brain. That's the doctor. 
the H and N versus yeah. the A. So people complain about lawyers speaking like legalese. Yes. Well, we haven't talked about engineers. Engineers can do this engineers. Well. Yeah. <laughs> but, but so the bottom line question is, you know, how far should we take explainability in AI? Yeah, I was just wondering about the uh, is, is it the a trade lo, lo, a trade off trade off? Yeah, mm. lowering the I performance. The short answer is no, because we even at Peltorian has a PhD student looking specifically into this, where a deep neural network can even explain things perhaps even better than humans can. This was a point of trying to get at. Mm-hmm. That if we have AI that's actually trained to explain things, not by looking at the internals of a neural network, but actually having the neural network as a core design principle to being able to explain if you should, for example, prescribe antibiotics, which is one of the use cases we're looking into, um, then you can actually have an AI system that potentially is even better than human doctors to explain why they think you should prescribe antibiotics, for example. So you say no. No. What? <laughs> so the, you, the this trade, is like Snillian speculator. Trade off. Don't deal with the trade off. Go for the best. Uh, no, because I, uh, I think if we do it the right way, we don't have to make the trade off. Yeah. So that's probably one. But way to say it. in your uh, example here, do you use an AI to explain the AI? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and, and let me now answer the same question. Okay. Because she's I th- turning the tables now twice a third. I, <laughs> this is very professional. She, you had media training in Peltorio, right? Exactly. The ABC. Uh, yeah, yeah. Acknowledge, bridge. Yeah. bridge. Mm. Key message. Key core, message. Core, mm. core, core message. <laughs> you know, so you, you, everybody, you see what she's doing to us. Yes. <laughs> I, I would answer it with another way. Well, doesn't it depend on if you think the AI should perform the whole task versus you use this AI as an augmented approach to the doctor. Because if the AI is supposed to explain, you know, give the recommendation to the patient, it then needs to be explainable in some ways. And maybe you need to be on the safe side. But if, if the AI tool is now put in the hands as a, an augmentation of the actual doctor, which is still in the loop, you know, then they explain, you know, then the doctor knows more detail and, and has worked maybe with hundreds of cases and has experience around how this AI works. So ah, he can explain in normal doctor ways to the patient and therefore the whole explainable topic is a little bit different. So for me, are we talking about the, the AI doing the whole thing mm. or are we talking about augmented intelligence? Yeah, because what I wonder is that if we know that an AI model could actually save lives, mm-hmm. do we really need to understand how it works just to understand, like, the transparency? Yeah, if and you- I think she just jumped into a very interesting topic now, uh, which is the trolley example and saving lives, mm. uh, if you remember that one. Yeah, I, yeah. Can, I can give a quick outline for that. But in short, I'd like to summarize that kind of um, question that you brought, you know, should we or do we need to make a trade-off between explainability and, and mm. accuracy, mm. call it that. I think today, perhaps yes, tomorrow, no. Mm. So I think you, there you, is... So you're today, talking about techniques to take away yeah. the, the trade-off. Yes, mm-hmm. and, and uh, of course there is a big difference with the AI of today and the AI of 10 years from now. But for, sorry, but for someone that doesn't understand the transparency part, mm-hmm. so in concrete ways, how would you uh, describe how a model works to mm-hmm. make... F- 
people comfortable with I, it. I wouldn't uh, just as you know, if, if you asked, you know, how does uh, Henrik's brain work? You wouldn't go in and say, you know, this part of his brain is working like that, and this part is working like that. Yeah, that's, that's not the proper way. You know, to explain why he made a decision in. It's because a person, we, right? we we trust his experience. No, but you ask him. You ask him. You know, give me an ex- you know, give me a motivation. You know, give me explanation for why you made. What, that what is decision. your hypothesis based on, or what is your recommendation based on? And then uh, I don't. Yeah. You you will not see my neural network working, but you will see me. Well, my neural network may identify this as a key data point. Mm. This is a t- key data point. Mm. And then I reflected and I crunched and I came up with this. Oh, I think it's this. So explainability should be about identifying. It's not about introspection. It's actually about explainability. Ex- so yeah. I think that's a way so, to so, uh, so to, to put, so let's be concrete now. So what you're asking, uh, when you talk about XAI, we are talking about, uh, we have a, a deep neural network. It works, you know, we're not following the neurons. But we can ask the neural network which one was the key parameters that was. I should simply explain. It's in even natural language. And 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 that, could you give an ex- could you exemplify this now? Because I but think it's, it's not oh, so. It's just speaking about me. Okay, so let, but I no, want to jump you. into another question now, and we should speak Before about Evelina. <laughs> like to comment on this actually. Yeah. So how do you explain how air condition works? Sorry. How do you explain how air condition works? Do, do we do we need to explain to somebody exactly? But yeah. I think that comes back to trust, and I can't remember who um, uh, described this example. But basically, if we have an airplane today, mm. we have a human that um, um, operates the the plane, mm. and we assume that that human uh, wants to live. So it will do their best, he or she will do their best to keep the plane um, up in the air and land safely. But if we don't have a human in there, if we only have a computer, how would we trust that this computer or system have this same um, um, goal (laughs) to live? But but that is also strange because the pilots only, you know, uh, operating what twenty percent of the mm, yeah yeah because they they their the whole job but is I, to 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 just basically lift and land the rest of it is automatically right yeah exactly yeah I, I totally agree but I think uh, perhaps our brains my brain uh, isn't that clever when it comes to mm-hmm. like being logical like that because you just um, assume that. Well, the pilot will do their best to uh, to keep us alive. Let me very quickly, but then I really want to bring it back to like uh, what is ethics and that type of question. Yes. But let, let me give an example because I think I heard an interesting example of you know humans can't always be trusted either. And there is a classic. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Every time you <laughs> some of you speak, like. <laughs> um, so there's a classic example of uh, you know human. No driving, more for me. <laughs> human driving in. Uh, or flying an airplane, and he basically turned the altitude uh, meter on the airplane to basically crash in the Alps. And he went, basically wanted to kill all the passengers. Um, and now the question is, you know, okay, we know humans sometimes are evil or simply, you know, are not functioning properly. <laughs> okay. And, and then the question is, you know, and, and so are computers, of course, and machines. We, uh, so many times we have bugs and they don't really understand the context and they are so much more stupid than humans, of course, of today. But in both cases, we have examples where things 
are not moving in the ethically proper way, so to speak. So how do we handle that? Well, uh, at least to to some people, um, th- there is a way to... <laughs> there, is, there is the proper way, which is to say, I wish we could actually have um, both the machine and the human that complement each other. If the machine must make a mistake, the human can counteract that and, and do something. If the human suddenly says, you know, turn down and fly into the Alps, the machine should say no and should say, you know, this is weird. No, I'm mm. not going to do it. I'm going to say no and mm. take over control mm. and, go, and went on autopilot. Mm. The self, you know, the same with cars. I and mean, I don't think it will take many years before, you know, the cars will overtake yeah. control instead of humans now today take control. Yeah. To when, suicide driving. Yeah. Well, or whatever. No, I mean, they fall asleep. Or fall and they, asleep. You know, they just drive to the right and, and, and for some stupid reason and they, the human currently is in control, but the machine... The car will simply say, "No, I don't. I don't believe you. I don't mm. trust you. Mm. I will take control over you and override you." And I think that's a good thing, mm. right? Mm. So at some point, if we can complement each other, yeah, that would be the best of both worlds. I agree. Mm? Yeah. <sighs> no, <laughs> no, you're you're a bit hard to discuss with because you, you turn the tables, you yeah, reach all the time, <laughs> and, and uh, but now, okay. It's good. Uh, I, I enjoy it immensely, <laughs> Evelyn. I, I enjoy it immensely. I just right, feel a actually. bit sad for the listener sometimes. So. No, no, no. <laughs> it's, it's good. So but we want to hear your thoughts as well. Yeah, nah. we do yeah. actually. Uh, mm-hmm. So, but let's go to the next topic now. And, or, or, and we or mentioned we, ethics a number ethics. of times. And yeah. I, I don't think, you know, we've spoken about regulation a number of times, yeah. but ethics is not that hard, or it is hard, sorry. It is rather hard <laughs> <laughs> to define what, what is really ethics. Do you have a preferred, like, good definition of you know, what ethics or mor- morale really is. Yeah, that's that's uh, also a hard one because, I mean, that will, um, I mean, it depends where in the world you live. Mm. Um, or does it? Okay. Mm. Yeah, I mean, what we here in the West world think is ethical uh, mm. might not be the same um, elsewhere. Mm. Uh, but what I think is interesting, um, I mean, I think on a global scale, uh, we do have some form of consensus because mm. at least we've seen the, the big tech companies and other companies for that matter uh, that have like uh, policies around uh, ethics. Mm. And we seem to agree uh, on a number of um, topics. Yeah. Uh, we want AI algorithms to be fair, uh, transparent, etc. Um, so I, I think we have some some consensus around it. What I think is important to bear in mind is that when we talk about ethics, we tend to only talk about like data bias, uh, mm. which is uh, a super important one, uh, definitely, uh, but it's not the only one. Yeah. So it's a, like a, a play of um, many things when we talk about uh, uh, ethics. But if you go back to the core question, like, you know, in some way, ethics can be seen as, uh, you know, what is the right thing to do in mm. some, some sense? Yeah. Do, do you have like a preferred rule or, you know, preferred way to define that, you know, how do you know what the right thing to do is? Yeah, exactly. So that's like the first question. Mm. Uh, for what purpose do you want to use this AI tool or AI system? Mm. Is it for a good purpose or for a bad purpose? Mm. Because if it's for a bad purpose to kill people, then we will always say this is unethical. Yeah. Um, this can't or be done. Really? Okay. Mm. 
I mean, we have the trolley example. I, I yeah, but I, I, I like to, to see it in like levels. So yeah. that's, at least to me, that's the fir- first question. Mm. Uh, the purpose um, for what, how do you want to use AI? Mm. And if we can conclude that, well, it's it's for a good purpose. The intention is uh, good. Mm. Then uh, you go to the next level. Then you go to the next level. And oh, then like you this. can look at, look at like, okay, so when we talk about ethics, what do we mean? Uh, we talk about... Um, Bias, uh, as in the data, what goes in, mm-hmm. uh, it will definitely, um, um, uh, what's it called? It will uh, discriminate between different types so of groups. Exactly. So bias is the outcome will definitely outcome. depend on the income. So bias is driving, is linked to fairness and diversity and stuff like this. Yeah. And you, I mean, uh, another quote, garbage in, garbage out. Yes. Uh, but then also, who is building uh, the AI model? Um, and today we know that a lot of engineers, uh, developers are male. They've been to um, certain types of universities. Um, so um, uh, in that sense, we also need to think about ethics and uh, diversity. Uh, who writes the papers? Mm. Uh, Scientific papers, you think? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, at least historically, it's been men. Yeah. Um, and then we can uh, uh, go further and ask uh, who is sitting in the room and um, taking decisions. If we look at like boardrooms um, and stakeholders, historically, typically men um, from certain areas. Um, but then, I mean, transparency, integrity, uh, security, everything around that is also ethics. Mm. Um, and then we can go further and ask, okay, so what would this mean to society? How will this impact society? And we talk about job losses, for example. Um, and then I think it's important to talk ar- around like education because some people say that AI will take my job. Uh, perhaps it won't. It might create another job for you. Um, and as we talked about before, if you have AI as a supplement to the humans, mm-hmm. uh, perhaps we can just be uh, 10 okay. times better. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Augment humans. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And then I think the third level is uh, questions around singularity and perhaps robot rights. Um, That's an interesting one. So, but, so but I think but the levels now summarizing the purpose as, as such and then you know is this for good or bad mm-hmm. this is level mm-hmm. one and then the next level we said some of some of the fundamental stuff like yeah bias. it's basically what the eu commission has uh suggested um topics to think about when we talk about ethics mm-hmm. um so but we if don't we go back to the first one level one good or bad what's the difference what do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> How do you Super know Super big difference. If, if you, no, no. <laughs> let's say that you walk out uh, from this um, room out in the street. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly you can see you have a choice. You can go to the left or the right. Yeah. And um, potentially if you go to the right, you will stop a car from um, killing uh, someone walking with a baby c- carriage or something. Um, but if you walk to the left, you will leave yourself and, and survive, but the, the, the child will die. How, how do you make that decision? How, how do you decide what's the good and bad way to act in that circumstance? Okay, so you are applying the trolley example Coming on a human. That, yes. 
I'm coming to that, yes. Because when I talk about... Should we go to that directly? Or do you, do you have... Actually, I so, have a good way to define I mean, you know, uh, what I think is the proper way to act. But I'm just... Uh, I'm curious to hear about that. But yeah. just to go back to your question. So, yes, um, I agree. Uh, perhaps it's not a simple question. It's always no. to say what is good or bad. No. Uh, but when I... Um, Uh, use this as, as an example i mean like looking at the intention uh do you want to use ai to make the environment better mm. um good intention is a good start at least yeah but of course you have the gray zone so uh, let's say that it's um it's a company that is uh polluting the environment should they be able to use ai uh well no if it's uh, going to to make it even worse mm. uh but perhaps yes if it's uh gonna use ai to do it better mm. yeah. but then we have whole whole industries um fundamentally good or bad we shouldn't kill each other so should we use ai in the uh arms industry we build weapons we we use i mean like some of the uh, i don't know how much funding in in mit that in robotics is funded by the US military mm. to build better drones, right? Um, you know, then it's a fundamentally good or bad purpose. This is actually to, and someone could argue, well, actually, you know, it's a little bit like this, it's what you do use the gun for that is the problem, not not the gun itself. But I mean, but it, this is to me, uh, you know, clearly, some of the big tech giants and, and even people working in, in industry are saying, well, I'm not going to work on your type of problems. I don't want to, imp- I don't want to build better weapons. But, you know, I think you touch upon a really interesting uh, uh, question here because I think it's, um, we tend to put a lot of pressure on uh, tech companies in general, uh, which I think is good. And I think it's also twofold. It's uh, uh, external pressure, Uh, coming from outside uh, the society saying that uh, you need to use this for good and you need to use this carefully. And and that is super good. We don't want another Facebook Analytica scandal. Um, but then again, uh, we should talk the same language in terms of what is AI, what is it not? So when we set up regulation, for example, uh, we we talk about, I mean, apples, not pears. Uh, the same the same language uh, and to achieve that we need a broader uh, awareness around ai and sufficient uh, education and taking this to a broader audience uh, not only the people that is interested about ai um but then if we go further and talk about like the internal pressure at tech companies i think it's interesting to see that uh, many companies have uh, uh, idealism which I also think is good, like the employees uh, at the companies, they have a voice because they write the code. Mm-hmm. And with that voice, they can achieve a lot of things. And we've seen that with Google, for example, uh, Google canceling government contracts. Exactly like this. This is the point. Because of employees um, saying that, no, we won't do this. We are about the Maven pro- project or something specific or... Uh, I think in general, uh, I, was, I think I've I seen can just give an example because mm. I think uh, what's, what we have heard about Google is they had a big product called Maven, and basically it was about using things like facial recognition, but, but for military purposes and being able to kill the right person, so to speak. <laughs> and, and then a lot of employees at Google went up and said, "No, this is not okay. No, nope. we were not allowed to do this." And, and actually, Google changed their mind and they stopped working with Maven. 
or at least they actually published uh, their first, I think, version of the AI principle or something um, that said, you know, you're not supposed to use this for like uh, defense purposes and things mm. like this. But then they had some kind of ex- escape clause in those principles saying, well, it's okay to use facial recognition for other things like search and rescue, rescue for example. So then um, uh, they could potentially... Um, continue to use exactly the same technology, and I'm arguing it my, myself now, and that's why I'm thinking, should I even say this? But anyway, um, <laughs> then, you know, they potentially could use the exact same technology, but for a good purpose, which is, you know, search and rescue. Mm-hmm. If they have an earthquake somewhere and be able to recognize someone with a drone, you know, flying around and identifying people, that's a really good thing. But in reality, then they could take that technology and use it for other purposes, so it's, like it's, for defense purposes. You always purposes. have your ass to you know behind you I, I still think you know what you actually said in the beginning you know use you know regulate the effects and not technique is still extremely valid even mm. in this case if even if they use maven and they use it for good purposes like mm. search and rescue it's okay to do that but as that the moment you move into using it for defen- defense purposes and killing people that's when it turns bad right mm. Um, so yeah, just an example of the, the I think what you mentioned at least w- with the Google example and employees. But, should, but, but back to ethics, should, should we should we go into the trolley example? I think this is a good one. Haven't we already touched upon it? Yeah, I we think have in I, a way. Yeah, yeah but, but it, I think it's. But you had uh, some thoughts about it. The trolley or or general ethics definition? No, I think the trolley because otherwise, I mean, one thing I think it's interesting is that or interesting or sad perhaps is that um i mean in europe we tend to talk a lot about ethics uh, and focus on the uh technical issues basically uh challenges and problems in general mm. uh which i mean it's good that we are aware of it uh but what i think we need is more use cases uh, and i think it was mentioned in the beginning because if we are to set up this new regulation uh we need to see the effects we need to see how it works in practice and uh, i think it's ironic that the uh, companies that are really dealing with ethics at the moment are big u.s tech companies that's really fun and, and just like to give some numbers i certainly agree and it's a very good point that you're making i think you know we need to Act, act more mm. and not and speak less. Mm. Yes, again, it's yeah. the same thing as we said before. Because how um, we will, uh, it goes down to to really understand what these ethics. You need to also hear, learn by doing. You need to have mm. the use. Ca- Typically, if we if we want to regulate the effects, mm. if you haven't even thought about the use cases, the effects is part of the use cases, right? Mm. So mm. if we go down that path, start working on it, and then from within, doing stuff. That's when you can have a, a concrete discussion. Mm. Okay, so, so let us. I, I think for a lot of people, we have mentioned the trolley so many times. We have to. Ex- we need. We need to we explain need to it. Yeah, at least explain it. At least we. we I want to hear your thoughts about it. Okay, so what is well, the trolley example? You, you're not going to turn the tables again, but I can give <laughs> an introduction of these sort of context for it. Um, so, so the classical. This is a very classical philosophical ethical dilemma, so mm. to speak. So you have the problem of a train or a trolley mm. going down a track. And the brake doesn't work, they can't stop it. So it's just going full speed ahead and just accelerating down the slope or something. And then you have five people standing on the track and they can't move away. And they're simply, you know, staying on the track and and they're going to be killed Mm. by this trolley. 
But you are now standing beside the track and you have an option, which is to turn a lever or push a lever. And that's going to make uh, the, the trolley go down a side track. And in that side track, you have only one person tied to the track or on the track. <laughs> <laughs> so now you yeah. have the option, uh, Evelina, uh, and, mm. and you uh, are standing by the lever and you can choose to do nothing. And then the trolley is going to kill five people. Or you push the lever and it's going to kill one person. What do you do? Yeah, I mean, that is a super hard question. I was wondering what was your answer to it? Because you said you had an answer. Oh, no. But I had an answer for another thing. <laughs> okay, uh, but, but it's but a philosoph- an Acknowledge. philosophical <laughs> question. <laughs> it's a philosophical question. It and is. it's super, uh, super hard, of course. Mm-hmm. And speaking of which, I was... Um, Preaching. Okay. Oh. No, uh, but I heard, uh, I'm not sure if it's an example, but if, when we talk about like self-driving cars, mm. like should you be able to uh, program like uh, in advance, mm. like if I end up in this situation, mm. what should you choose? Mm. Program as in define rules. Yeah, yeah. So that's, so that's I always go for the old person when I have to choose between the baby and the old person. <laughs> yeah. no, just to continue a bit on the trolley, and I can give if we just continue the, that train of thought, so to speak, or trolley. Or so, so, what does people in general answer to that question? Okay, yeah. So, okay, let me give some more context then. So, normally they say, "Well, killing one person is better than five people," so I'm going to push the lever, and then. And then it co- continues, right? Yeah. The problem with that is you are causing that single person to be killed. Yeah, it's an active uh, yes. uh, action. So you yeah. actually take, mm. you're murdering that person. Mm. So before you do but nothing, you you supposed you're a bystander. When you pull that thing, you're a murderer. But still, the most people, when you ask people this question, they, they are going to push the lever. Mm. But then you ask a second question, which is, let's say you're in a hospital and you want to do an organ transplant. Mm. And you have a healthy person with a you know well working organs, and you have five people, and you can transplant organs from this healthy person into these five you know critically dying people. And if you do that, you will save these five people, but you will kill the healthy person. Mm. Now, if you ask the people the same question, are you willing to push the lever and kill the healthy person to save five people that were otherwise going to die? They say the opposite thing. They say they're not willing to kill the single person to save mm. five people mm. in this case. Mm. And I think this is really telling, uh, you know, what's really going on here. Um, but what do you think? I'm not sure if we're going to get further with this. <laughs> well, I think it's, you know, I love philosophical questions. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, that's yeah. why I enjoy and, and just dig deeper into this all the time. But, but, but it, 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 there's yeah. another angle on this. And it's like how I think you, you said it was Kai who said it first. It is unethical not to use mm. AI. Mm. Because if we take it back to this topic now, so someone can argue, uh, it's very scary to, uh, we should not use AI. Uh, and th- that could be the same as I'm a, I'm a bystander. I'm not going to do anything. Uh, five people will die. Then we start using AI now because we know we can improve actually hit rates or, or identifying tumors. But sometimes we can get it wrong. 
And then it's, you know, so who is, uh, so this is one, one angle on it. And then when we talked with Louise Cullenberry, mm. uh, you know, I think we had another very interesting angle on this question. It's a little bit like we came into the whole conversation. It's in big corporations, it's typically in the culture that it's okay to do nothing. You know, when you're, when things are new and you basically, you should really change and innovate and do this, it's easier to say no than yes. And if you go to the public sector, that's even more true, right? Mm. So basically, if you know you can save all this money in the public sector, why are we never accountable for, for you know, to do nothing is actually the same as no. So we, we act in this way that we, we, we hide and do nothing and mm. it becomes by, by choice, no, right? Mm. We didn't do it. Yeah. And I think when we come into AI and how to look at AI and if we should try something out and we need to be understanding that we will fail, we will have mm. improvements, mm. but is it actually okay to do nothing? I think that's a really good point. Going back to like diversity in tech, doing yes. nothing about it. Is that's, that okay? That's an action. Yeah. Mm. Doing nothing is mm. an action. Mm. And this is what I think is the key point around becoming data and AI mm. ready to regulate and all that. Mm. We need to try and we need to have the use cases to better understand. Mm. So this whole, when the whole society freezes over regulation, it's really, really bad because it's actually doing nothing. It's actually no, it's actually killing people or it's actually hurting our economy. Mm. And and how to f flip this. Yeah. And if we take this into diversity and now we're talking about that, we need to have quotations of, you know, we are taking concrete actions, even lawmaking in order because it's going too slow. Mm. What's the English word for uh, civil courage? I think we need more of that. Yeah. That's a good Swedish word, by the way. Yeah. yeah. Civil courage. I don't know. I couldn't tra translate that okay. easily. Yeah. Have the courage Civil to take courage. Action. Civil yeah. courage. Civil action. No, but I certainly agree. And, and I think it goes back to what you actually said in the beginning. Uh, it's better to act than to complain in mm. some way. Yeah. And, and do something about think, it. I think you're doing that in so many ways, Evelina, and uh, partly in, of course, AI. Thank you. I try. <laughs> Stockholm AI in, in AI Weekly. But the civil yeah. courage, civil courage. Really? But actually, was it that easy? Yeah, okay. <laughs> but let, let, let me take what we said right now into a very concrete example. Mm. Tips and tricks, how to deal with your uh, privacy office and lawyer at, <laughs> yeah. at work. <laughs> That's a good one. Oh, right? yeah, yeah, I definitely want to. Yeah, because, because if, if, we now, if, 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 we, if we now encapsulate all this stuff and we said like, we all have, we all need to try in yeah. order to learn, in order to better regulate, or mm. in order to be mm -hmm. safe and trust. I'm like, the use case is key. So what, so we said be proactive was a, a very simple tip and trick. Yeah. I think the, the, the number one tips that I would like to give anyone who's working and trying to do data sharing or do something they haven't done before mm. is the fundamental framing as you did before. I think we, we, I go back to this. So all the time, if the, 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 the support functions as a privacy officer or as, or the, the, the lawyers or the risk department or the, the compliance department, mm. they are there to help us and guide us to do the right thing. Yeah. But they actually don't, they are a supporting function. And as sometimes that gets forgotten how it's implemented. 
So basically, the risk owner, the data owner is always the risk owner. The business mm. owner is mm. always the risk owner. The, the guys at risk or legal or privacy, they don't own the risk. They guide towards the risk. Exactly, yeah. So so, mm. so to first of all understand that in a healthy company, the P&L owner is the risk owner, is the data owner, etc. And the, we are there to help and guide them and advise mm. to do it right. Now, the problem becomes now when we go and speak to our advisors, but we're framing the questions in the wrong way. So basically me as a risk owner need to say, to take accountability, I really need to use the AI and to automate this. There is no option because we're gonna die as a company if we don't do this. So the framing to the question is how do we do this in a compliant way? Or what, what are the things I need to add to have then integrity, robustness, trust like this. Mm. So instead of asking like, can I do this? No, you can't because you have all these topics. Flip it, we have to do this. How can we minimize the risk? Mm. Help me. Mm. Simply by going into the conversation that this is gonna happen, we need to do it, but I want to do it right. Tell me what hoops to jump through and which order to do it. I will do it, but mm. we're gonna do it. And I, I find here, sometimes I have been in very locked situations with this topic. No, we can't have this data. You can't share this data. Actually, I'm not here to, for you to say no. I'm here for you to say, what do I need to <laughs> yes. do for me to be able to take this data? Yeah. Uh, and ultimately, but then you need to have consent from the customer. Great. I go out and get it. Here is the, you know, we've done it correctly and now we've done it. So I think this is my tips and tricks that goes all the way down to if you take proactiveness, if you say no and inaction is not an option and you frame your, you know, your discussions with legal in this way, it goes so much better. Mm. And by the way, talk to them early. Yeah. And I'm, I think, I mean, it takes two to tango. Yes. Um, so uh, both parties need to take responsibility. Yes. And coming from the lawyer side, I think it's, super important that lawyers are curious mm. and just uh, don't say no per default. Uh, I think you're a great example of that. So I must give you some compliments uh, having experienced <laughs> that myself. So thank you. And I mean, it takes, um, it takes courage, I must mm. say, because uh, as a lawyer, you are, um, you're coming from the risk side and yeah, want to be sure that, yeah, side. exactly. Mm. Uh, but I think if you can have the dialogue and also if you are able to educate each other, I think uh, you can achieve uh, a path that is actually doable uh, for both sides. And when it comes to GDPR, I mean, there are many things to think about and integrity is, is key. And I mean, the sanctions are real. Yes. Um, so <laughs> you need to be aware of it. But there are ways to not go around it, but uh, to actually uh, find a way forward. Uh, yes, I think we have to move into this and, and actually follow up on your quote, GDPR a masterpiece a bit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually quoting another people, uh, another I'm, person I'm on this. Yeah, 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 but it's but fun. but it, it's it's a good segue because now GDPR, of course, if we are if we have listeners in the enterprise sector, what legal topics is very on on our agenda all the time? If we want to do data and AI and share data, GDPR is is part of. We want to do it right, but it we we can't get frozen up by it. So let's go here now. Thank you. 
And I think we, if we take a bad example, I mean, there are good examples, and, and of course, but, but let's just for the sake of argument take a bad example. And, and uh, I won't name the name of the company, but uh, let's say a big Swedish retailer that had a lot of reviews on their products that they sold on the website. And they could also make use of these reviews to potentially build a recommender system that helps customers and themselves to sell more products, but also for customers to more easily find products that they want to buy, potentially, if they're not shopaholics, as, as some people I know in my family. But um, still, you, you could have a win-win situation if you have a good AI system, like a recommender system, that helps companies recommend things to sell and people to find things that they wouldn't otherwise find. So um, that can be a really good win-win situation. However, in this case, um, reviews and the text that people write could contain PII, mm. personally identifiable information, which caused this company to say, I don't dare to take the risk with GDPR, so I pulled down all the reviews, mm. and hence the recommender system had to go down. This is a bad example, of course. Um, but do you see and understand um, companies thinking like this because of yeah, GDPR? Yeah, I think that, I mean, uh, GDPR GDPR works well in that sense that it actually s scares people. Um, but, but do you think this is a good example of no, how GDPR I should mean, work? No, I mean, it scares people to be, uh, well, not scare, but um, they make people aware and uh, be careful about uh, mm -hmm. personal information. Mm -hmm. But my feeling is that sometimes uh, it scares people away for actually like trying new mm -hmm. technologies is, like it, AI. It, it, it makes us freeze up. Exactly. It, it, yeah. make, it drives inaction. Mm. So instead of, I mean, like if I flip it, the situation now, if I go back, we really want to keep this recommender system. This is an awesome recommender system. Mm. How can we keep, how can we do this in a safe way, in, mm. in, in an integrity keeping uh, privacy-preserving mm. way. What do we uh, need to do? Yeah, and and I you mean, can solve that, I'm, I'm sure. And I think, actually, going back to the very beginning, I think this actually causes some injustice because big companies yes, with I big love it. like uh, lawyer departments um, or in-house lawyers, they can manage it because yes. they can uh, go through the laws and see w where you can find a way forward. But if you don't have access to a lawyer, and lawyers in general are quite expensive. Mm. Uh, then you take the easy way out if you, I mean, have some uh, carefulness uh, and don't do anything. Safe than sorry. Yeah. yeah. So the, you, you're you're hitting a, one of a, a raw nerve, a, a, a raw times, nerve, right? where yeah. we where we argue several times that GDPR, the way it's set up today, is increasing the AI divide right now. Mm, so okay. the, the 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 best the tech giants out there. Not only do they have their the, the legal department, they have all the use cases. So they have tried and tested and done the trial and error for the last 10 years. Mm. So they have a case law internally, what mm. works and doesn't mm. work. Mm. And used to tip it off, they have awesome systems so they can basically code and do anything compared yeah. to a normal uh, company. And so they have with a all tri it's a trifecta, it's a trifecta to manage anything that basically puts the rest of the world in three three layers below, mm. big problems all three that we can't deal with. They have the use cases and case law, they have the lawyering department, and they have the fundamental tech stack to just squeeze a couple of knobs and fix yeah. it. And the, the power to challenge the law. 
And then ultimately they are mm. so big so they can ultimately challenge the law. Mm. So so uh, how to deal with that, right? Because now we have now GDPR, we have these topics. Intention is good, but ultimately where this is going is like th- where we really probably need to put some hampering on it. Are we, uh, if I talk uh, Cambridge Analytica. But, but do you see this problem? I mean, do you agree that this is a problem that GDPR is actually potentially having almost the opposite effect of what the intention initially was? I think there might be some in, um, misunderstandings around GDPR, but mm-hmm. if you don't have access to a lawyer, it's hard to see those. So um, in cons- I mean, the intention was good. I think we yeah, all agree all, with that, agree. But, but the consequences is not. But right? I mean, under, we, we've talked about this at, <laughs> at yeah. work because, I mean, uh, you don't really need to end up in GDPR in in the very first place. You can find ways where you don't have to deal with personal information. Exactly. But, so but that's not the point. The point is that companies are so afraid of it, so yeah. they'd rather be safe than sorry. Yeah. Right? And so then they course. do nothing. Exactly. And yeah, do I nothing. Agree. They are frozen. <laughs> yeah. And they no, are yeah. not acting. Yeah. And that is... It's pro- a bad spiral. It's a really bad spiral. Yeah, that's that's a problem. Yes. Mm. But I think GDPR, on the other hand, can be good when it comes to trust, building trust. Yes. Uh, I be- agree with that. Yeah. And so but then we're I, in agreement, right? But no, no, no. But, but, but how Thanks. do we then flip okay, it? But, but how do we flip let's, it? Let's phrase it a simpler way. Do you think the current implementation of GDPR is a positive or negative effect on non-tech giants companies? Non-tech giant companies. Yeah, so What's not, that? <laughs> not being Google, not being Facebook, not being Microsoft, not being Amazon, but like you're a Swedish retailer yeah. and you want to use data and AI to just have a chance to compete when Amazon is now launching in Sweden, etc. Do you think GDPR is a positive or negative uh, impact on, on these kind of companies? Well, I, I mean, oh... I hate to say this, but I need to say this. It depends. Yeah. Depends, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a typical lawyer answer. But uh, I mean, uh, GDPR is good, but it has its flaws yeah. and uh, it has been. Uh, but okay, if, uh, so far, do you think the effects has been positive or negative when it comes to non-tech giants? Both. Hmm, really? Can you elaborate a bit more perhaps? <laughs> Are we <laughs> coming home tonight? <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, I won't push you more, but I, I think it's uh, it's a really interesting you said question. You in the very beginning, Anders. Yes. I'm going to hold this to you. <laughs> I'm not going to put you on the spot. <laughs> I heard yeah, it. I heard exactly, it. exactly. I'm not going to require an answer. But okay. Because it depends. And I mean, um, I think GDPR... Um, is good when it comes to building trust, mm. but then it's not super good when it comes to scaring off um, people, companies to actually uh, try to use AI because we will need that mm. in order to have a regulation in place that is fit for purpose. But, but, and could we, f- the last part, I think we should leave to the next topic, but to, to, to close the topic. Our next guest. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. To close the topic on a positive note. What I thought it was positive no, here. No, no, but <laughs> we, uh, what I mean is like, oh, it's impossible, GDPR, uh, how should I get around it? So what do we think is simple recommendations to not freeze we, up? I think we need some clarifications. Yeah. And instead of uh, uh, countries doing their own interpretations, we need something uh, that goes on an EU-wide 
uh, level. And what is this interpretation or clarifications? What do you see in front of you? This is good. Yeah, but I mean, on GDPR, for example, we have requirements when it comes to uh, automated decision making. Mm-hmm. Uh, perhaps we can have some clarifications there. Uh, clarifications around. Um, Are you talking about examples, or what, what is the what is the clarification that would help? Yeah, examples. That, examples is yeah, a good idea. Yeah, that that's a good idea. And also, I think there is examples out there, uh, but the problem is that people aren't aware of it. Um, and I also think that the. Um, Uh, data inspection uh, uh, authority, which is now called uh, Integritetsmyndigheten, oh. they are doing uh, really good stuff. So, uh, I mean, um, uh, do, do, can we recommend any sources that helps a guide a, a normal Swedish company to get on top of this? Examples or you know, t- yeah, myndighet. yeah, Integritetsmyndigheten. Um, it's um, um, well, the EU has um, groups that there's, are specialized in this. There's a lot of information. Yeah, there's and, a lot of and the whole, information. And, you, and by the way, how, how many have actually read the law? Yeah. I mean, like, let, let's start there. In, in Vattenfall, we, a lot of us got certified. This was a hardcore big program. And I'm really grateful for that approach, that we took edu- education on the GDPR, on the actual law text, and how Vattenfall lawyers interpret it, and how we now indeed need to act when we build systems. I, I find that extremely professional. And basically, when we had done that, I wasn't scared anymore. Mm. We took it seriously and understand legitimate interest, right? What is legitimate interest? And then we could understand that actually, we, in order to run a, a network, we need to have data about, around people's energy usage. So this is legitimate interest. So here we go. GDPR is off that topic. I'm just giving an ex- example that sort of, to really know what you're talking about is number one, I think, for more people than the lawyers. I'm thinking about jumping into to another topic. Yeah, let's uh, go and, there now. And Evelina, I'm a bit sorry for pushing you a bit hard, because, just because I know you so well. <laughs> and it, it, I yeah. don't want to make it sound like I'm giving you an easy time. So <laughs> hope you excuse me for mm. pushing you a bit hard. Um, but there was a famous example in Google for this person, Timnet, or what do you remember her name? Um, yeah. Timnet, right? Which one? It was a person that was working with the ethics departments in Google. The ones that left. Left or was fired? Or, oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Right? Her name? Mm-hmm. I forgot her name. Yeah, I think Timnet something. Um, She was doing this uh, work on a paper trying to identify the, the challenges with the big transformers. Yeah, stuff like this. And she spoke specifically about big NLP models, something we work mm. a lot with in Team Timnit Gebru. Yes. And um, she spoke a bit about, you know, the environmental impact that these kind of yeah. uh, learning of these huge models will have and potentially also biases that may be inherent in these kind of huge, mm. like many hundred or even billions of parameters of models have that is hard to understand sometimes. And uh, we, we of course, don't know exactly what the circumstances was. And it's one side what you hear publicly and another thing what really happened internally, probably. Um, but how do you have any initial thoughts, Justin, about that event that she got fired or left at Google because of potentially what she said about NLP models? You know? 
Yeah, and I mean, I read the uh, uh, initial articles that came out, uh, but I haven't followed the latest news. Mm-hmm. Um, so my answer is no, I don't have enough information. Um, cool. <laughs> and, and that's, of course, perfect. good. And, um, I, I'm just but, uh, yes, but I mean, on the face of it, it looks problematic. If we take like a hypothetical example, or perhaps Peltarion as an example, and let's say that we want to have a person that really safeguard the ethical... Have you checked it was with Luca? <laughs> <laughs> let's say that we wanted to have a person that really safeguards still, you know, ethical concerns. Uh, similar, okay. similar to like you. me <laughs> or what no similar to you yes <laughs> yeah or like Timnit I was thinking actually Timnit um, and um, someone that is you know concerned with that perhaps the biases isn't really being uh, examined properly we actually do have projects like this so I think we actually are doing a really good job in Peltorian in doing this so perhaps it's a bad example let's take a company in general <laughs> <laughs> go there instead go there instead because you know we actually have you know projects looking in specifically into biases in NLP models yeah. so I think that one of the few companies actually doing that is mm. actually we so uh, still a uh, bad example but how can we do this I, I, and, and I'd just like to give a metaphor an analogy to if you want to bring like an AI expert or data scientist into a product team, they usually have a really hard time doing that because they challenge things. They say, you know, do you really have the data to prove that this is correct? And let's say you have a similar kind of person, an ethical um, person that is, you know, have the responsibility to make sure that we act in an ethically uh, correct way that's hard to bring into because they usually get a lot of pushback saying we need to push this kind of product forward with the next person very quickly. So how, I mean, you are also, you know, I think you, you're responsible for the ethical <laughs> questions in Peltarin as well. Um, but still, do you see that kind of challenge, the problem of, you know, being the, the person that potentially is blocking a bit? but still kind of safeguarding these kind of ethical questions. Yeah, but I think it comes down to actually having mandates and yeah. uh, the power. Um, to not, uh, It shouldn't be only like a showcase and saying that, well, we are an ethical company. Mm. Look, we have this ethics officer. Uh, mm. Because if you just scratch the surface, what can this person really do? Mm-hmm. And when it comes to ethics, I should I think it should have the same mandate as um, like the compliance uh, function has. Mm. Right. How, how is this set up? I mean, like uh, because we are talking about AI ethics, and it, this is maybe a role that a lot of companies will need in the future. Mm. Like we started with privacy officers as part of GDPR. Yeah. And I can see how this is going into AI. Yeah, it has started. Yeah. yeah. And I would argue that. Peltorin is probably one of the most mature companies in Sweden around operational AI ethics. Mm. You're doing real research on it. Mm. So may I ask, you know, how have you, how, how are you operating AI ethics in Peltorin? What, what is that part of your role? Evelyn? Yeah. How, how, how do you drive that as a role model for <laughs> how people yeah. could think about uh, uh, of establishing course, these roles? Yeah, of course, there are different approaches. And I mean, you can work with policies, you can work with processes. Like if you are to um, build this new model, you can have a, like a rigorous process where you need to check Just certain like a things. Checklist, a exactly. Check questions. Checklist, etc. cetera. Um, uh, definitely. And um, um, 
Yeah, sorry, I was just there. Uh, what no, happens? The producer is filling up the glasses. <laughs> More wine. <laughs> Um, yeah, so you can have a, a different approaches around it. And I mean, we were do, we're doing a lot of like research. We're also doing a lot of like learning by doing, yeah. um, yeah. because course. I think that our approach is also, we want to have a process that is fit for purpose. Yeah. Uh, so also trying to have the, uh, ethics department, so to say, uh, not as a blocker but as an enabler. An advisor. An advisor, either. but being part of the... Um, so have you framed, uh, like, like you know, is it... So your role in, in Peltorion formally is... A, you're, you're the lawyer, but you also have the AI ethics. Yeah, but I think it's also important. It shouldn't be one person. No, no, no. It should be something that is uh, implemented across. Uh, is it a across. function? Is it a function? Is it a discipline? Is it a capability? So we, 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 we don't have a, like a, a department no. that's called the, the ethics department. Probably not many will have in for many years anyway. Yeah, but I think it's important just that it works across the organization. Mm. Uh, so this is the key, right? Not to have it sit in one place, but actually permeate. Yeah. So what we have in place right now is an ethics committee uh, consisting of, I think we're five people. And in terms of like um, uh, issues or questions around ethics, uh, uh, we get together and discuss them. And I mean, ethics, it's not only about building a model and looking into data sets. And I mean, Anders, your uh, department, you are looking into this uh, really thoroughly. Uh, um, but it's also around like, okay, which customers do we work with? Uh, for what purpose do they want to use? So um, ethics committee is broader than, it's, it's the fundamental ethics of Peltorion where AI ethics or model ethics is one piece. Is that fair? To understand it like that. Yeah, ethics in a broad sense. Mm -hmm. uh, and I mean, also being superficial, it's also about our brand, yes. obviously. Um, well, because good ethics should be good branding. You know, you, know, you yeah, could argue we, that this we is want good to business. Do, this is good business. Okay, it feels like I'm here to um, uh, defend yeah. no, no. <laughs> uh, Peltarian. But I mean... I think you're role modeling. This is what you're doing right now. Yeah, but I think one uh, really good question around Peltarian is, I mean, we are a company that want to um, democratize AI. Mm -hmm. We want basically everyone to be able to, be, uh, to build uh, advanced AI systems. Mm -hmm. And of course that comes with responsibility. Mm -hmm. um, with and, great power comes great responsibility. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, these are questions that we definitely uh, deal with um, oftenly. Um, but democratizing technology, I think is key. Yeah. And I think the winners are the unprivileged. Uh, because what do you mean unprivileged? So today we have a few players that have access to what we call cutting edge technology. Um, and in order to achieve some form of justice in society, uh, I think that uh, more people need to have access to this technology and knowledge about it. Closing the AI divide. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, science and technology takes us forward. Yes, but how to do that in an inclusive Way. Perhaps this is a good segue into perhaps another question about, you know, we have a situation today where, you know, we try to cope with the regulation we have and we try to understand how to work with ethics. 
But uh, of course, there are ways to improve. And um, if you, Evelina, were to think like in coming years, and, and if you were, let's say, someone to give guidance, I'm sorry for pushing this question. <laughs> I see you like, Anders, what are you going to ask me now? But, um, <laughs> but if you were still to try to give some advice. <laughs> Troll example. <laughs> what would you choose? <laughs> if you were to give some advice for politicians or for policymakers in, you know, how can we make um, innovation still happen while maintaining a proper, you know, regulation ethics in place? Mm. Um, do you think, uh, do you have any specific ideas of uh, this is like good examples, these are bad examples, or is it what you said before, let's simply build up a big, big like use case library and trying to find examples of doing that and, and then see how we can learn mm. from that? Or you know what, my simple answer is mm. diversity. And I'm not just talking about women and men, mm. because I think diversity in terms of um, skills and knowledge. Mm. So bring everyone to the table, yeah. not only tech people, not only Fantastic. politicians, uh, you need everyone. Yeah. And then I think um, bring the tech companies to the table. Yeah. Uh, because I mean, I think the innovation is happening there. Yes, uh, it's not am. it's not the big uh, big companies, uh, industrial companies, and um, so, so what, what, not the big industrial companies. What do you mean? The big tech companies is now driving the AI innovation or the next generation of innovation. So what I mean is that tech companies is driving the innovation, and yeah. I think the old players ah, uh, the are old left. Industrial, okay, uh, yeah, they the are traditional uh, kind of companies. Are not exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay, um, I see. And uh, and then I think in terms of diversity, like who you should bring to the table, uh, well, look at their uh, um, uh, discipline. Uh, do we have everything, everyone involved? Uh, do we share the same opinions? Mm. Uh, if we do that, we need to bring in new perspectives. Mm. Uh, and then, I mean, look at the boards mm. who sits there. I think it's too easy now uh, that companies come away with not having diverse yeah. boards. But actually, I, I love this angle on diversity. And I really think you're pushing a very, very, very important topic. Because if I go to some of the politically correct companies right now, I'm not naming any names, but big corporations, they, they talk about diversity, they put it high on the agenda. And I argue that they are far from diverse. They are, they are, they are Even the startups as well. No, I mean, yeah, and, and, and the way yeah. I see it is like, we then talk about politically correct diversity, then we are meaning um, our gender or race or something like that, right? Which is really important. But when I look at the profile in some of these companies who sits very high up in terms of diversity of skills and competences, understanding the new world contra the old domain business model, it's far from diverse. You know, it's it's econom economists, you know, the bean counters. I'm I'm rude now, and it's sort of the engineers of the old domain, right? That's it. I can go to any of the industrial companies in Sweden, and it basically looks like that. So, do they have anyone with AI true competence on the board? No, they have bean counters on the board. They might have marketing guys. They have maybe engineering guys, and I think. So when I look at diversity now, it's not, it's not, it's about different skill sets. It's the cross, the cross disciplinary team needs to be represented in the board. 
So I, I really like when you say diversity in a broader sense than the, what I would call the politically correct diversity. So I, and I'm not pulling down on you know more women or all this, but I think we are really quite homogenous in our different industries, and you see it in recruitment on the CV recruitment that. You know, a business controller needs business controller skills. I don't see AI skills here. The same goes everywhere. So I think this is the main point of diversity that is being missed on on, on a big scale. Cool. And uh, the time is almost you know up, but I, I'd like to cover at least one more topic before we end up uh, with, with the normal kind of questions. But um, I know you're a big fan also of women in tech, and and that's something I think we all really want to promote and try to improve in different ways. And you're also an investor or angel investor in some way. Mm. Right? I've or actually invested in a wine yard. Really? Yeah. A Swedish one? Or? Yes. Oh. At Gotland. I actually have a wine rank Gotland. myself. But oh, really? It died. Uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> because of my neighbors. Uh, long story. Um, cool. Yeah. That's interesting. But yeah. still, if you were to want to, to promote more like women in tech and perhaps even more in so in, in data and AI, mm. what do you think we need to do? Um, yeah. In terms of like early on kind of education or more in terms of how, how we make investments? Yeah. What do you think? I think we need to start super early, mm. uh, like how we bring up our daughters. Yeah. Um, and then w- I think we need to encourage them mm. to start their own companies, uh, to take on sea level jobs. Mm. And then I also think that society uh, as a whole need to understand that we can't just put this uh, task on the girls and women. Right. Um, we all need to do our job. Mm. Um, so, I mean, if you are a, a male privileged uh, person, mm. perhaps you can look around and see, is there uh, someone I can mentor, for example, or uh, share my network with, or yeah, do anything. Awesome. I think you're a great role model for that. So thanks. Thanks. <laughs> thanks for doing I, I think the role model part that you highlighted before when you talk about uh, this is a good tip as well. Role modeling is a good way to inspire. Yeah, show. Uh, show that show it's possible. That, yeah, that it's possible. Look mm. at the Kamala Harris, for example. Yeah. Mm. yeah what, sure. a, what a role model. Yeah. Right? Should we go there to the Trump thing? Or nah? I think we're running out of time. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to the after after work. Yes. Sure, sure. <laughs> um, but um, I'm so eager to do this. Now, uh, okay, should, should we have the last topic potentially? Um, yeah, we, we have 10 minutes. I think it's okay. Okay, so I have to bring up a bit about singularity. Is someone well. still there yes. <laughs> <laughs> listening to us? <laughs> Poor um, people. <laughs> and uh, and singularity, you know that very well, but it, it comes a point in time yeah. where the AI becomes, you know, super intelligence, meaning, mm. you know, in, it, it will not only be good, better than us in playing chess or driving a car or playing Go or whatnot, but actually in, in a generic sense. And potentially will come a point in time where we will lose control. We can't pull the plug in some way. And then the question is really, you know, will that be a positive or negative impact on humans? Um, this is more of a philosophical question, but what do you think about that? Um, 
I think it's super interesting to uh, uh, hear what the uh, people researching in this field thinks about it. Mm. Um, I mean, I don't know. Mm. Will we get there? I don't know. Do you, um, do you think we will not, or do you think it's just a matter of time, or what's your? I think thought? there is um, a risk, so to say, that we will get there. So, what I think is super important is that we today uh, put uh, resources mm-hmm. into building AI ethically mm-hmm. um, and make sure that it's transparent, uh, explainability to the extent needed, mm-hmm. uh, so that we don't end up in a situation where. Uh, we as humans um, can control, control it anymore. Yeah. yeah. So the explainability and all this, we're talking about the ethical stuff, is also about not losing control if we take yeah, the exactly. singularity because perspective. I, well, I believe and I really hope that uh, it's not uh, a game that we have already lost. I think that if we put resources into it now and actively do something, uh, we can uh, control it. Do you think it's necessarily bad if we lose control? Um, Let me ask in a different way. Yeah. Do you have control of your kids today? Uh, I hope so. (laughs) 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 They're still so young. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, that's uh, definitely uh, something I should think about because now my... uh, Illusion of control. (laughs) Exactly. My oldest um, is uh, four years and uh, every day I'm just like, oh my God, this is uh, actually... um, a human with his own thoughts, um, his own uh, mind, uh, and um, uh, he's definitely going to be taller than me. <laughs> he's mm. definitely going to be able to like carry me away. Mm. <laughs> so just physically, <laughs> I feel like I've, I've lost control already. Just hypothetically, if you also mentally were to be like ten times smarter than you, that, that's not possible. But just hypothet- hypothetically, if he, if he were to be <laughs> know a super intelligent yeah, yeah, yeah. person well i'm gonna be proud mom yeah would you <laughs> would you relieve control to him and let him guide your decisions okay i see where you're going yeah if he is smarter than me uh and of course i mean uh, we as humans makes mistakes all the time yes yeah uh mm. I, I i see where you're getting at uh but okay um <laughs> So what do you think? <laughs> I think it's super fine. You know? uh, and I'm not sure if I should bring up this kind of bad metaphors, but I would love to have someone tell me what to do and say, this is a good way to act. And this is why mm. I would love to have someone say that. To, to predict also like your future. Yeah. Why not? But wouldn't you lose like the fun part of life then? I can still be radical and choose to not to, but I still have the option to have the information and knowledge of... Like all the answers. Not all the answers. You can never be 100%, but still I have more information than I otherwise would have. But that's an interesting question. Like if you were able to find out if you uh, have... uh, If you were to like die in a a couple of years. I have told you have five years... Two minutes and twelve seconds. To Would you leave. really want to Would know? You that? Want to know that? I certainly don't know to want to know all information for sure. That, that's a very easy answer. I, I think some information is better not to know than than others. Mm. But for some type of information or some type of knowledge and, and thinking knowledge in 
the difference between information and knowledge as I see it is information is something that you understand uh, what it means, but knowledge is knowing how to act. Mm. Um, and I certainly want to have knowledge in but, how to act, but I not necessarily want to have all information for sure. But, but, but uh, okay, so let's, let's tweak this a little bit. Like mm. there, there are different views and research you're talking about. How will we as humanity or people function uh, if we don't have creativity, if we don't have a job to go to, yeah. you know, and, and all this. So it's, 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 it's almost stemming out of this whole, uh, we lose our jobs point of view. But, but uh, I've read a couple of articles which are very loud in relation to, you know, we don't want GPT-3. We need to write ourselves, you know, uh, stuff like this, right? Uh, so, where, so where is this going? If, you know, the more automated and, and the more tasks out there that can be done intelligently by machines, you know, what are the things that even if we have singularity, we actually, in order to survive as, you know, humankind, that we will, you know, I, I, you know, the argument is we will rot from the inside and then, then we will create war and anarchy because we have nothing to do. Mm. <laughs> we, have, we are destructive. But I think we already have... Uh, big problems that we need to solve uh, before that happens, yeah. like the environment, for example. Uh, and in that sense, I think that AI will be one of the things that can help us have a planet that sustains um, humans in the yeah. future. This is a good. It's not the single answer, but it's no. But I think it, it's actually before we start talking about the theoretical problems mm -hmm. in fifty years. Let's use AI for the next 20 years to at least or survive. Or 10 years, yeah. Mm -hmm. Survive yeah. Mm -hmm. the next 50, yeah. 50 years. Mm -hmm. So basically we um, are... I think that's a great ending point uh, as well before we take the final questions. We, we do have so many societal mm -hmm. challenges today. Yeah. Not, you know, not the least with the So let's fix today. them first. And then... Yeah. And economical, then. with the poverty, with education. Environment, medical, en energy, yeah. water. Mm -hmm. So many problems, you know. So what are the questions? Is there any questions? So, you know, <laughs> if we have all these challenges, why are we afraid of using the best technique that we can to simply solve them, right? Mm, yeah. So it's a leading question. So we are scared mm. of the unknown, mm. but it actually hampers us from doing things that makes us survive. It's a terrible idea. Mm. But like it's a leading question, Anders. Obviously, we should do Obviously. it. <laughs> but uh, hopefully... We hope all agree, and I'd like to hear you confirm that, Evelina, but as well that we, we have so many needs for mm. being able to work more efficiently in our society today. Mm. And AI can be a <coughs> small part of helping that. Mm. Right? Would you agree? Yes, and that's why I work at Peltarian. <laughs> awesome. Um, yeah. Evelina, what's next in your life in coming weeks, months, personally, professionally, or something else? Yeah, um, 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 I am actually uh, in the process of uh, starting slash launching my own company uh, on the side. Oh, really? uh, we're in stealth mode, so mm -hmm. I can't tell anything more about that, but it's definitely taking up uh, a huge uh, part of my time right mm -hmm. now. Uh, and uh, what I can say is that it's combining everything I've done and everything I've s I stand for. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, I can't wait to uh, announce it. Exciting. In the coming months, yeah. Some hint or is some kind of clue on... I thought it, I just said that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, uh, I mean, leveraging uh, new technology such as AI uh, to improve uh, 
uh, our society. That sounds perfect. Yeah. Wow. Excited. Uh, we yeah. need to keep. We have to continue the after after work to get more yeah, information yeah, yeah. about this. We need later. to. Uh, yeah. A more as soon as we uh, um, <laughs> turn off the mics. Uh, Evelina, is there uh, someone else that you would recommend to come on this podcast um, that you would like as a listener to hear? Uh, mm, us yeah, interrogating there, uh, as much as we did. Yeah, exactly. So uh, yeah, there are so many people uh, that I want to hear here. Um, uh, I'd like to hear Sophie Nabset from Sana Labs. Oh, right. uh, I'd like to hear uh, Elena Kell from uh, H&M. Mm. And uh, I also want to hear, um, I can't uh, give you names, but I think that could be a task for you. Uh, people that have not really tapped into AI, but are eager to do it. Right. Uh, and to hear their thoughts, uh, their challenges, uh, so you can, uh, I mean, bring them on this side. To hear... Opinions from people that may not. No, I, but um, I yeah, think the, the people that we. I mean, uh, and I. I think I said it in the beginning, and uh, sometimes I think perhaps I shouldn't say it, but uh, I think there is insufficient uh, awareness and uh, education uh, among people not in the tech industry uh, or in tech companies. But perhaps I'm wrong, mm. and uh, it would be interesting to hear a non-techie talking about tech. Uh, and AI. And, uh, yeah, so I think this is great because we have talked about the way to really uh, demystify AI is to also have a lot of different perspectives. Yeah. So industry leaders, users, maybe even a doctor. I, I said I, I, I want to get my father on the on, on this show. He's an he's an old surgeon, mm. you know, and, and he doesn't know anything mm. about AI, but he knows about business problem of hospitals. Mm. Mm. And you know, so actually exploring this topic with someone who has mm. no clue but is eager and to innovate mm. and, you know, because it, it also gives another conversation and also highlights maybe what we all need, to, you know, that I think it's a massive adult learning exercise mm. in, in society for us to be better at speaking about these topics. And I think that's what you want to benchmark or, or get the feeling for, or, or how, 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 Yeah. And I mean, in order to, uh, uh, approach and get to these, uh, these people, uh, I think we need to understand uh, what their obstacles and challenges are. Um, and, and how they talk about these topics. Because exactly. they use a different lingo. Yeah. Mm. Good. I like it. Very good idea. I like it as well. Understanding the challenges of people outside of the AI world, but potentially needed for it. Yeah. So. And who is, who is cu someone who hasn't really started, but curious and yeah. wants to go here. Yeah. And, and so not an expert. It would be interesting yeah. to hear. Yeah. These horrible experts. Awesome. Thank you so much, Evelina. It was a true pleasure. And I hope you Thank excuse you. all my horrible questions and uh, interrogation yeah. parts. But, um, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we will need to uh, take this afterwards. Yes. <laughs> but I love the discussion. Yeah, it was uh, awesome. I loved it. Yeah. It was awesome. And I loved how, we, how you put him on the spot a little bit. Thank mm. you for that. Yeah, Not but, on the spot, I, but actually, turn it's the interesting table. to hear your thoughts. Mm. Um, I think so too. Yeah. Thank you. And thank, thank you, Goran. Thank you, Gordon. Thank you very much.